Hey homies, on this episode of Homegrown Horror, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom Cult of Durham, Maine, and specifically Frank Weston Sanford, the founder of that cult. I just wanted to add a small disclaimer to this episode. This does feature quite a lot of child abuse. So if that's something that you're uncomfortable by, I would suggest that you skip this episode. Uh, at any rate, though, we're about to get really biblical on homegrown horror. Enjoy. Hey, Jackson, this is a nice space you got for this. Oh, thanks so much, B. You're going to love this. Now, um, things might have gotten a little out of hand at this bake sale, but, you know, I really like these guys, and they seem to like what I got thrown down. So what, just take a, take a seat there. Okay. We'll, we'll talk about it. Oh, by the way, hold this blueberry. You're going to need it, okay? Don't eat it just yet. Okay. Just wait. Okay. All right. Congregation, now rise to accept the uncorrupted natural sphere before you. Wait, did he just say May the sweet godly juices of this berry nourish your spirit and cleanse your blood of unnatural sugars. Just as the cerulean blue of this berry shines upon us, so does the expansive sky that our azure god bestows upon our moldy complexions. May we all return to the bushy bosom of our Lord in the sweet hereafter. Partake of the berry. I just walked into a cult. We also sell uh, cookies after service. Welcome to Homegrown Horror. We are co-hosts. I'm Jackson. I'm B. <laughs> this is the main spooky podcast, main spooky things, true crime, cryptids, murders, um, sometimes gangsters, sometimes home alone. And today <laughs> we're branching into a new realm of the horror. I'm ready for this. Oh yeah, that, and I know you're very excited. You're very into this kind of... Um... I'm here for the cult stuff. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about cults. Talking about a very, very unique cult. And I would like to just preface this and say we have, we have a very extensive legal team, obviously. Yes. And they have informed us that we should really only talk about the person in question related to the cult, not anything related to... The cult. The cult itself, or the... Uh, asterisk? Can we put an asterisk? To big say? asterisk. This it, is mostly about... I listen to, so I listen to the cult podcast, yes. and they, they usually are like, this is how we define a cult, and at the beginning they're like, and remember, these are our opinions. Yes. <laughs> these are our opinions, but we will also be talking about things that happened. Because they also, they, yeah. they in particular, uh, there are some unreleased episodes because they got slapped with lawsuits really yes like they but, released it but then they had to take him down real quick i think yeah one of them but i will also say that w they actually did they now have a pro bono pro bono defense attorney oh shit because this particular cult that went after them they put a snake in his mailbox yo <laughs> <laughs> yo and uh, he survived but he had been 
working on cases involving them. But yeah, they put a snake in his mailbox and he said, as a big fuck you, I am going to be your pro bono lawyer. It's like, I don't care if I make any money on this. (laughs) (laughs) But he also has, he has like, he still has like the skeleton of the snake that, that bit him. That's pretty awesome. It's fucking cool. I highly recommend, like, I love cult podcasts. That's the one with Paige Wesley and Armando Torres. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you like Armando. Armando. So, and I like Paige from other stuff, and that's how, yeah, the worlds collide. So, um, (laughs) I have a story real quick. Yes, tell me your story. So, you you know... Take your time. We know what kind of podcast this is. (laughs) You know this story. So, Jackson and I were recording last week. We come out, and we have to... had to go clean out some stuff out of the basement and so my I was like trying to find my wife and I'm like oh where are you she's like I'm in the bathroom and I'm like okay cool we go down do the stuff (laughs) we come back up she's sitting on the couch and she's like all covered in blankets and Jackson asks for a hug and she's like oh well um I kind of had an accident with my carving knife (laughs) (laughs) so my wife is trying to be Arthur Morgan (laughs) and wants to learn how to whittle yeah And so she was practicing outside because it was a really, really nice day. But this bitch was wearing shorts. So she um, slipped, her hand slipped, and she cut herself with the carving knife on her thigh. (laughs) And instead of telling us, asking for help, she decides that she's going to do it all on her own. Yeah. And she makes a little, like, all we had were small band-aids, so she makes a little patchwork of band-aids, and she's like, this is fine. So we then find out, like, an hour or so after this event had occurred. And I was like, okay. And I saw the patchwork of band-aids she had, and I'm like, you know what? Let me order from GoPuff. I'm going to go puff some gauze pads and some wrap, and we'll, we'll take care of it. So we eat, we eat lunch, GoPuff comes, and I'm like, okay, now I'm going to to remove the current dressing and redress your wound. Yeah. And when I took it off, number one, the band-aids were soaked with blood. (laughs) Number two. Oh no. I look at it. I look at her and I say, babe, honey, that needs stitches. (laughs) So after recording my, the rest of my day included bringing my wife to quick care or urgent care by our house. She got two stitches and a tetanus shot and she is today. We're, we're going to, um, we're going to get her stitches out today. And I went and I brought her to reds. I got her ice cream. Cause she, brave girls get ice cream. Brave girls do get ice cream. That's awesome. Yeah. They're sweet. She, yeah, she's been doing good. Um, it looks like it's healing really well, but yeah, don't practice whittling or wood carving with just shorts on because, no, especially with a no, brand no. new carving knife. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it was like, and also she downplays everything, which is a thing that she, she just does in general. But I was just like, babe, and she's like, no. And I'm like, Yes. So that, and then I also had a costume photo shoot this week, which went well. Um, so that's pretty much, and then work's been really busy. I got a promotion. Um, yeah, so that. President of the company. <laughs> I fucking wish. I wish. <laughs> but yeah, I, yeah, I got a promotion and then I have to go back into the office next week, which I'm not looking forward to. And then I have to go to like a conference thing, which I am. 
middlingly excited about. Conferences are funny because it really is just an excuse for professionals to drink heavily. That's what I've been told. They said leave before 8 p.m. because nothing good happens after 8 (laughs) p.m. That means you should stay after 8 (laughs) (laughs) p.m. So, yep, that's, that's my week. That's fun, man. Well, I can't wait to hear about the conference. Oh, God. I've been to a couple conferences, and yeah, it's just like a lot of, a lot of bloodshot folks in, in the morning workshops, it looks like. Yeah, my company, we're also... So one of the things that we're doing is... Because um, it's for insurance agents, and um, one of the things that we're doing is we'll be carrying around like branded items... For, so that way people know company who swag. We, yeah company so we have so much company swag holy shit but for this sunglasses water bottle they have like you know the little handheld fans oh like you get a disney yeah like do the they little, squirt water at you too no these don't squirt water but they have light up and they say the name of our company as it's going around <laughs> oh my god <laughs> they got us fanny packs which i am very excited about Nothing wrong with a fanny pack. Um, there's like light up glasses. Like there's so much stuff. Um, but so we're gonna be walking around with bags. Why that do have we need our... such a high marketing budget? Have you seen these light up shoes? <laughs> <laughs> I really like the woman that that gets all of this stuff. She's really fun, and I like the shit that she picks out. It's great. But um, yeah, she sounds like she's just been given way too much of a budget on all. Well, yeah, because I was in a meeting for this thing, and they were just sort of like, yeah, throw some more money at it. (laughs) Get some more stuff. Um, But, so we're going to be carrying around bags that are, um, that have our company name on it, and people that work with us, they, we basically sent out, because we're also a um, sponsor for this convention, and so what we're doing as a sponsor is people will come and find employees of our company and they give us their business card and then they'll be entered in a drawing for an LLB gift card. We're giving away $100 gift cards, $250 gift cards, and $500 gift cards. And I'm like, I want in. <laughs> can I just get hired by another company so that way I can put my <laughs> business card in this? Because I need an LLB gift card. <laughs> doesn't say you have to accept the job, right? No. <laughs> I'm just having a conversation. Slip. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that's that will be inter- that'll be interesting. It's my first time doing something like that. I've done stuff like with the company, like that's just intercompany stuff. Yeah. I've never done anything with other agencies, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> it will be a blast. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. How long is it? So it starts at three and it ends at like nine. Oh, so it's just a day? Yeah. It's, well, because we're just going to the cocktail hour. Oh, okay. I yeah. getcha. Well, all right. <laughs> but I did find out that, so, because my new position is going to be salaried, but since I'm still hourly, I can actually, the longer I stay at the conference, I can add that <laughs> to my time card. <laughs> so, <laughs> maybe I will stay past eight, but yeah. So. Welcome to the work podcast. Yeah, hello, welcome. <laughs> welcome to the Quick Care and Work podcast. I had an uneventful week. It was fun. Um, it was fine. A lot of work. Uh, playing Elden Ring. We don't need to talk about that. I am very close You're to... You're maidenless. I'm still maidenless, yeah. But I'm very close to becoming the giant magic laser that I am meant to become. <laughs> I have the spell. I just need a couple more uh, intelligence points. And then soon... I will be one-shotting bosses like the cheese lord that I am. 
Swiss cheese. <laughs> I am Swiss cheese. Look how oh, pale yeah. I am. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, oh my god. But hey, B, yes. you're gonna love this one. So like your wife's cut, which was deep and wide. God's fountain of love is the same way. It's deep and wide. Yes. <laughs> All right. So we're talking about Frank Weston Sanford, a uh, religious cult leader, very interesting upbringing and sort of like moments of insanity that I think we're going to be diving <sighs> into. But uh, I'm buckled in. I'm, yeah, I'm excited. And also, like, my wife has a couple of touching points related to all of this, which is pretty funny to me. <laughs> But we're going to get really into it. This dude's fucking nuts. Um, so, Frank Weston Sanford was born in October 2nd of 1862 in Bodenham. Yep. Nailed it. Maine. Sorry for clapping into the mic. <laughs> <laughs> he was the 10th. Uh, no, not 10. He was um, one of seven kids. In his okay. farming family. Hey, yeah, I mean, like, you're a farmer. What else are you going to do with your dad? Farmers and Catholics. Yeah. <laughs> farmer. Sometimes they're one and the same. We had a friend that was smack dab in the middle of ten children. Oh, shit. Like the fifth one? Oh, my God. Big old Catholic family. <laughs> it is very... Talk What's about, a condom? <laughs> like, talk about middle child syndrome. Holy shit. Like, holy shit. How do you keep track of that many kids, you know, as a parent? Just like, you! You! Yes, you! Get yes, over here! You. <laughs> the third one! Get over here! <laughs> You're not going to remember all those names. No. And also, I think there's probably a point where you just kind of have to let things go. There's so much to manage. <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah, beat on each other. Usually whatever. you just put one of the older ones in charge. <laughs> and when I say one of the older ones, it's one of the older girls. Right. You delegate. You manage this lot. You're the mini mom. <laughs> the mini mom. <laughs> you gotta have a mini mom in the family. But he was like one of um, one of seven kids. Um, his early upbringing was pretty uneventful. Both of his parents were into uh, the Free Baptist religious movement, which today I'm not, uh, they're pretty progressive. I'm not so sure about back then, but Free Baptists are still a thing. Uh, pretty well centered around Maine, in fact. Uh, but they're pretty progressive uh, today, you know, they believe in women ministers. They're pretty cool with the gays. That's what they say on their banners. God's cool with the gays. <laughs> That's Love it. Their whole thing. Um, thank you, Free Baptists. Thank you, Free Baptists. They're all right. I can't speak for all Free Baptists. You know, like we can say, oh yeah, this is a Protestant branch, but you know, as far as like individual experiences of churches, who knows? Because sometimes it's up to the pastor to decide what's cool. Um, Do you say pastor? Pastor. Yeah. It sounded like he said bastard. <laughs> up to these bastards running these churches. <laughs> I've been really struggling, like, with my my listening comprehension, so I'm trying my best. <laughs> this podcast would be good for you. It's like exposure therapy. And I all know. That. <laughs> <laughs> Have you like talked to me at all? Have you like had those moments where I was like, I don't think Jackson's paying attention. You're right. I'm not. I'm like <laughs> thinking about ten things in one moment. I, I have spaced out so hard sometimes. Uh, I don't mean to. It just happens. <laughs> uh... I'm deficient in something. <laughs> Vitamin D. <laughs> Mostly that. Yeah, look at me. <laughs> uh, his life was pretty, you know, basic. Uh, not basic. He was a farm boy with a bunch of fucking kids. Yeah. And, uh, but he was 
his characteristics, you know, he was always wanting to kind of take the lead on everything, even though he wasn't the oldest. He would, um, you know, want to drive the horse. He would want to drive the boat. He would always want to be at the front of the line. And he would always want to be team captain whenever sports were around. He was also pretty athletic, very athletic for his age. And he kind of grew up, he was smart, grew up pretty fast. His father died when he was about 14 years of age. And, but by 16 years old, he was showing so much academic prowess, he was actually teaching at his local school. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, he's like pretty, you know, not, he's 16. He's not like fully built up. No. So like, but at this point, his teaching style was one that was incredibly loud and like angry, very direct in a way. Uh, very strange style, but apparently that was like a desirable trait at the time for teaching a classroom. You wanted to keep people in order. Make sure you project to the back of the room. And, you know, he was also well-spoken and well-thought-out, so he was able to do an effective job as a teacher at this time. But, uh... If you say so. I I am saying so at this time. I think that he had pretty commanding presence over, you know, a variety of ages. That's concerning. It is concerning. Leader, commanding presence. He could be president. He could be a serial killer. He could be a pastor. Who knows? (laughs) Those are the three areas. During his second year of teaching, though, he went to a Baptist revival at his mother's church. And then is when he actually converted. So he wasn't, like, converted immediately, even though he was raised Baptist. You come from a Catholic background, so you're used to, like, children being baptized. Yeah, that and also, so it used to be different. Because you used to do your confirmation when you were older. Yeah. Now they do it with your first communion in the second grade. Oh, damn. That's Which, a bit of a commitment. That's the thing. Now now that I'm an adult, I realize, like, you confirm that you are a Catholic yeah. before you can really understand the religion. Yeah. So that's why that didn't make, like, he's, so it's kind of like his quote-unquote confirmation is he's yes. like, got it. This raised this way. I'm I'm into this. Let us continue. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, Catholics, for... you don't have a choice. No, you're you're thrown into it. You're baptized immediately, almost. Uh, and a lot of um, I think a lot of Catholic priests would say that it's important that they get baptized immediately or like pretty much right after they're born. I have a story about that. <laughs> you, what's your story? We can go. Like so. Um. So my. My Grammy Celeste went her second son, Timmy. Yeah. He was a preemie. And oh, okay. He was born. He was born. <laughs> no, what? Sing preemie. Yeah. Is that the technical term, preemie? You've never heard the term preemie? No, it just sounded like you abbreviated premature. Yeah, that's what people say. Is that what people say? Yes. It seems insensitive. <laughs> As somebody who was raised with an uncle who was a preemie, yes, that's what they called him. Oh boy. Yes, he was premature. He was born on he because so he was born on March twenty second. It was Easter Sunday that year, and also there was a fucking snowstorm, and so they had to like they struggled to get to the hospital and like all this other stuff, and um, this was very tumultuous birth. Yeah, and they didn't know if he was gonna make it, and this is also kind of around the time where fairly certain the church was like, yeah limbo's not a thing anymore but you should still baptize your babies because if they're not baptized and they die they're going to limbo which is like baby purgatory (laughs) just put them in a playpen 
Yeah. In a so white room. <laughs> my grandmother was raised Catholic. My grandfather had not yet converted converted to Catholicism. Uh-huh. Uh, I think he was raised Protestant, which is also really funny because he's super Irish. Because um, the Irish are, are usually Catholic. Um, but in any event, so he had not converted yet. And she was like, she's like, okay, I need to tell him to find a priest so we can baptize Timmy. But he's... I'm trying to convince him to convert, and I don't want to scare him by saying that if Timmy dies, he's not baptized. He's going to just hang out in some liminal space. <laughs> because, you know, that's not... That's not a very, like, good selling point. <laughs> no, not in particular, no. Is that because we believe they believe in original sin... So babies are born sinners, which is why they don't get to go to heaven if mm -hmm. they're not baptized. The whole thing is really fucky-wucky, okay? And, um, so yeah, so she just very down low is like, we need Timmy to be baptized right now. Yeah. And he's like, watch. Right now. Go find, go find, go find the chaplain or what, whatever's in this hospital. Whoever's left that has the power to do this, do this. He did end up surviving. Yeah, but that's a fun story that my grandmother tells me. Good memories, that sort of thing. Yeah, it sounds like a really fun story. It's fun. <laughs> it's funny. Oh, my God. When you're talking about the Catholic Church. I was, um, yeah, I, I was raised in a family that was raised Christian, but there was no, like, forcing of baptism because we we're um, evangelicals. And uh, just basic evangelicals. I don't know if there was a specific sect. My, my mom kind of led the... Uh, the ship on that kind yeah. of front there. Um, I think I've more adopted my dad's kind of personality about it. But, uh, yeah, so they, we had to go through confirmation. I went through confirmation at a specific church I went to. It was, mm -hmm. like, part of youth group that you did the confirmation. and Like, that makes more sense to me is that yeah. you do it, like... Like, not at such a young, weird age. Like, we did it, I think... It's like, like seven. Yeah, that's insane. <laughs> I think we did it when we were, like, 16. Yeah, because that's how it used to be. Yeah. But they just put them together. I yeah. don't know if they were trying... Like, even back then, they were... Because I don't know when it started. Because my mom didn't do her confirmation. In Maybe they just grade. had a packed agenda and were like, I, I can't do two confirmations, man. I, let's just... I, just do, 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 just do, 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 do the one. Mom. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then I was baptized later uh at some point and i was actually kind of surprised i remember saying like oh i'm not baptized and i was like should i get around to that <laughs> <laughs> it's like should i be doing that <laughs> like but anyway uh, did you get around to doing that yeah i did they, okay. they sprinkled some water in my head i made a oh a, you didn't do the whole dunking thing <laughs> no i don't i they were like <laughs> the, the pastor was pretty funny he was like so uh how do you want to do it it was like what do you mean He's like, isn't there a way that you guys do it? He's like, eh. <laughs> it's yeah. like, eh, it's more like what you no, feel comfortable like, yeah, with. Yeah, when you're babies, they just go, there you go. Yeah, it's like, plunge you into the, uh, we can throw you into a river. Yeah. Um, we could uh, dunk you in a tub or, you know, just throw some water on you. And I'm like, I'm cool with the water, like, sprinkle. That's fine. And now you're baptized. And now I'm baptized. I'm you're not saved. going to hell. I'm not going to hell. I've got, I've got plot armor. <laughs> A Catholic thing, right? Purgatory is a Catholic thing, yeah. Okay. I don't know if there are Protestant um, sects that believe in some kind of limbo. I don't think so. 
I think the only variation, well, there are some variations. There are a lot of variations on baptisms. Yeah. I think there's a variation on like predestination for some of the Protestant faiths. Like Presbyterians, or as I like to call them, Presbys. Presbys. <laughs> We're just shortening everything today. I know. <laughs> uh, we just like to breathe. Um, <laughs> so he was 18 years old. Yes. February, we're going back in time. February 29th, 1880. He was 18 years old when he got, uh, he, you know, got baptized uh, into, what into year? the free Baptist. 1880. You said 1980. Did I say 1980? Yeah, I was like, if he was born in the 1860s. I forgot to mention, he's immortal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, He's still walking around, <laughs> traveling around a boat, blasting a trumpet off the coast of some islands. We'll get into it, B. You're going to love this shit. Putting the pin in it. All right. Uh, yeah, 18 years old. 1880, he got rid of his tabacky and he pu- publicly <laughs> publicly announced his conversion. He also announced it at a school that he began att- attending called the Nichols Latin School. Um, which was a preparatory school for Bates College, of all places. Oh. This guy is very much connected into Bates College. Is there any, like, history, like, I just imagine them having, like, a statue of him or something. <laughs> no, there was no statue of him. But is there a um... building named after him? No, there's no, you do not want to name any buildings after this guy. <laughs> I don't know, you, I haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about it, but no, no, no. <laughs> He got into Bates on a scholarship, and he had a very eventful college career. He was elected class president, first off. He got to speak at commencement. Oh. And he also served as both the coach and catcher of the baseball team. Shit, okay. Yeah, he was fucking... He he's was like, doing he's everything. like an all-around all-star. Like he's... He would be like the All-American Award yeah. or whatever that is every year. The All-American, is that a thing still? Sorry, all that's coming up is All-American Prophet from <laughs> Book of Mormon. <laughs> great, great show. Um, fucking, okay, there's like some Mormon. award every year that's like, oh, this guy was ma- named the All-American. And it's always like some college student or something. It's an athlete. I've never usually. heard of it. Yeah, it's like beauty pageants for athletes or something. I don't Interesting. Know. Okay. <laughs> All right. He, um, but yeah. Mr. Bates College. <laughs> Mr. Bates College. He was also, for, like, his hand was actually described as, like, gnarled and beaten because of how consistent he was doing all the catching. Because they didn't have any fucking gloves then. No? <laughs> no, they didn't. <laughs> that was a little later. Uh, I think in, like, the, like, around Depression era, I think, is when, like, Holy shit. gloves okay. were introduced. I don't know the full history. Jeez Louise. Around this time, no gloves. They don't do that shit. Okay, they don't pussyfoot around. Yeah, no. Go fucking for it. Just get some calluses and catch it like a man. (laughs) He graduated in 1886 with honors, of course, and left to go captain a semi-pro baseball team. He was actually, this is his Hitler art school moment. He was actually being scouted by professional pro teams at this time. And, like, he was such an athlete. He, like, really liked baseball. Uh-huh. He was very into the sport. He was, like, catching up on, like, pro athletes. And he, like, I'm very, very nervous involved. where we're going. But, um, well, his baseball team made fun of him because he would go to church and he was kind of a religious guy. So, like, they, his baseball, his own team was making fun of him. Um, and he decided to separate from all that 
to then go attend Bates College again, but this time go to the Cobb Divinity School, which had moved around a bit, but was centered at Bates College. So what you're saying is if he hadn't been made fun of. (laughs) Then he wouldn't have gone to seminary and become, uh, and then killed a bunch of people. (laughs) Oh no. This is going to be fun. We're going to get into it. Uh, so he attended the Cobb Divinity School, no longer a thing, by the way. It was absorbed by the religion department of Bates at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, he would eventually, he attended there for about a year and would eventually drop out of the seminary because he didn't really agree with the academic teachings. Um, something that's very interesting about his theology is he would often take things quite literally when it comes to scripture, but he would also kind of pick and choose what was quite described as literal. You mean like modern American Christianity? Yes, in some areas, some of them do put a lot of literal interpretation to the scripture. There's also a lot of churches that don't interpret things literally. They also put a lot... I mean, also, like, the picking and choosing. The picking and choosing is a big part of, like... like, let's talk about one part of Leviticus and say gay people can't Yeah, exactly. And, like, uh, you could name that into a bunch of things that have nothing to do with each other. But, like, yeah, I went to a sermon recently that was with my family... That I was kind of like, this guy, it was David, and he was talking about, like, God's love. And then, like, we were only focusing on this, like, thirst of God in the desert. But then, like, immediately after, he was talking about how he was going to crush his enemies. And I'm like, these are very strange things to put into one chapter. (laughs) (laughs) Just to kind of pigeonhole, is like, oh, I love you, God, you're awesome, I thirst for you. I'm going to fuck everybody up. (laughs) Is he doing it to prove his love? Or just because he wants to. Uh, sort of as like a, it is a testament of trying to prove his love. And he's like, I'll strike down your enemies kind of thing. Who, which yeah. are also conveniently my enemies. So that's fun. Anyway, gotcha. I don't want to get into it. <laughs> no, I fucking love, like, yeah. I'm really happy you're doing that. You're doing this one because you have a lot more context for a lot of the, um, cause you went to a. Christian college. Christian college. Yeah. So you got some of that. I would say I'm not in any respect like a theologian. No, but you have way more context than I do. I think it's, yeah, like it's just a different way of kind of thinking through some of this theology, but it's, it's interesting. I do find this all fascinating. It's weird. It's kind of interesting to see how like people will come up with justifications for certain things based on a philosophy that they kind of develop. So but so he disagrees. He with, disagrees with yeah. the academic teachings, and around this time, he said that God spoke to him with words from the book of Matthew, saying, "No, no, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled." When I said he takes things a little too literally, here it comes. It's uh, it's about to, it's getting started here. Okay. At twenty-four years old, he became a student pastor of the Free Will Baptist Church in Topsham, Maine. So he kind of stepped within where, his. Uh, I lived there when I was an intern at Maine State Music Theater. Oh, you did? Yeah. You lived over there. That's where the yeah. in, that's where intern housing is. Oh. And then everybody else gets to live in Brunswick. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone gets to live. But in yeah, I right? used to walk. I used to walk from like Topsham across the bridge into to Brunny. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I love Topsom. <laughs> Topsom's cool. I get to drive through it. It's a very lovely area. Um, you wouldn't think that it was home to these kind of kind of crazy people. All all these like little towns are very interesting because they have so many like small roads that just bisect them all over the place. Yeah, like, like that. It's more like an like Bath, Brunswick, Topsom, Bowdenham. Like they're all kind yeah. of 
they're very <laughs> interconnected. Yeah, yeah. Um, so 24 years old, who's the pastor of the Free Will Baptist Church in Topsham, Maine. He brought the same energy and booming voice that he was known for to his church. And uh, within three years, he had about 300 conversions and more than 100 baptisms. That's pretty fucking crazy. So people like him. People really like him. And he was very involved with the community as well. He was a pillar. <laughs> While serving as pastor, he also became principal of the Topsham Schools. And you organ- say Topsham a little weird. Topsham? Topsham. Topsham? Okay. Topsham Schools. And organize. You're you're meant to like be on top of this. <laughs> I, I, you didn't say anything when I first said it. Well, because I had to hear you say it a couple times to be like, no, he's really putting an S in there. Top sham. <laughs> I'm putting a sh- top sham. There. Top sham. I'm going to go down to top sham. He was the principal of the top top some schools <laughs> and organized sports for uh, youths and workers at the local paper mill. So still okay. involved in a, in the athletics. You know, he he still right. likes to play ball every once in a while. At least he didn't lose his love of baseball. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's always been true. <laughs> uh, in 87, Sanford attended a, um, I was about to say conference, but it was more like a youth seminar at a college in, North, uh, well, it was the Northfield Mount Hermann School in Northfield, Massachusetts. Um, Northfield Mount Hermann School, I believe, has now moved to, I think, New Hampshire. It's no longer in Northfield because I don't think it's around there. It might still be there. I don't remember. Um, but it was, uh, focused primarily on foreign missionary work. This was a kind of like a driving moment to get young people to come together and to talk about missionary work, kind of convince them to start evangelizing. Um, during this little conference, uh, Sanford took away three major principles that would influence his preaching, which were personal holiness, living by faith and informal preaching. You know, that ability to just kind of go into preaching mode at any time. And this kind of, he also started learning a little bit more about higher life Christianity, which is sort of an enlightenment evangelical Christian movement. That sounds like something that I would see like in my book of insurance. (laughs) Higher life. We get a lot of stuff like with fun, like fun names like that. (laughs) I'm like, I'm pretty sure I feel like I've seen something like that. This part of a higher life movement is, um, I don't have all the details, but basically after your initial conversion to Christianity it is expected that you move forward from that moment to lead your life in a way that will allow a second work or personal miracle from God enter your life. The second work is also known as entire sanctification or the second blessing or second touch. And it's more commonly understood as uh, today among, I think, a lot of movements as being filled with the Holy Spirit. I think some movements still have this kind of idea of entire sanctification. Yeah. Whether they like put that much emphasis on it or not, it's sort of like a allowing yourself to be moved by the Holy Spirit, which will allow you to act in good ways. Unless some, some sex belief. Um it's, and then if you're it's Catholic, aspirational. if you're Catholic, they just have they, there's this thing where like you go and then like the the priest touches you and like the Holy Spirit like physically moves through your body. That's what got my grandfather to convert <laughs> is when he actually physically felt the Holy Spirit. Really? Yes. Hmm. Like he fell on the floor. Like oh, yeah. The Holy Spirit doesn't know how to walk. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, it like passed through him and like knocked him out. <laughs> Rude. Like Will Smith. 
go we'll on. leave it alone <laughs> all right in fall of 87 he would attend another religious conference where he would meet his future wife helen kinney helen 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 they would actually eventually end up having um two kids together okay did not take after his parents no, no. maybe for the best <laughs> Pro- who knows let's see definitely for the best that's all the kids i really know about though i i'm not saying he did but like that's all i know of mm. he seemed kind of controlling i'll just say that in 88 sanford attended another conference which discussed the imminent return of christ oh no mm-hmm this was uh, described and discussed as premillennialism, which is a belief that Christ will return within the new millennium. This idea is based on scripture from Revelations, and they still seem to be waiting at this point, is something I wrote in my notes. <laughs> uh, okay, now, like, so much happens, but we're going to get into this. This is going to be fun. In 91, Sanford... Oh, damn it, I skipped a thing. This is what happens when you start writing crazy notes. Sanford was uninvited by a church, 88, to go perform missionary work. And during this time, he would end up visiting Japan. And Helen was there, too. They had a little fun missionary trip to to Japan. Japan. How romantic. And he would also go to China, India, Egypt, and Palestine. Hold on. What? I'm trying to think of what's the time period where they just were like, Japan was just like, um, no thanks, but we hear you like crosses. (laughs) (laughs) Have you guys heard of Jesus? (laughs) Yeah, no, Japan was just, no, Japan was like, I heard you Christians like crosses. Oh, right. I heard you like crucifixes. (laughs) You guys like that, don't you? You like that. (laughs) Let's, uh, let's, let's test out how much you like it. Uh, I think it was, I think it was before this. I'm not sure. Because Japan's open at this point, right? Uh, in, I would, I would assume that they are if they're openly doing missionary work there. Yeah. I think that at this point it's probably safe to travel. Because I thought it was around the... Because this is the late 1800s, so I think they are fully opened by that point. Because I think it was the 1850s when they started, like, yes. open back and forth. the country. Stop having it be closed. <laughs> uh, what's what's that? Anyway. That That is the history of Japan. Yeah. Which, if you have not watched that or history of the world... It's mwah, so good. Mwah. So good. It's so good. I watch so it freaking constantly. Funny. You do. <laughs> During his travels, his International World Tour 1, he stated that as he was observing different people and how they interact with their lives, he said, they all depend on God for support and divide their supplies equally. And this is rather a statement that he would end up modeling his um, community after. In 1891, Sanford returned to Maine. During this time, he had claimed to have uh, cast demons out of his friend uh, when he returned. So, mm-hmm. he's an exorcist. Yeah, now he's an exorcist. Fucking fantastic. Yeah. I didn't think that anyone had exorcists except for Catholics. Yeah, I don't know if like... Interesting. I think that there are Protestants that kind of believe that. Looking at you Lutherans, I think you guys do that. I have no idea. <laughs> um... Yeah, so he claimed to have cast demons out of his friend, All and right. then the very next morning, on a walk through the woods, he said that he heard the trees whisper a single word, Armageddon. 
you want to explain what I'm doing? <laughs> v is just rubbing her eyebrows and covering her eyes right now. She is full head and face. I mean, head and <laughs> Jesus Christ. Head, head and hands. hands. Can't talk. <laughs> head and face. <laughs> I hope so. Wait. <laughs> After his uh, vision, he then uh, convinced Helen to marry his crazy ass. Oh, they weren't married when they were traveling together. No, they, no, were they were traveling in sin. They were traveling as missionaries. They weren't fucking. In sin, you think. Well, we don't know. He's about to start a cult, Jackson. Of course he's fucking. <laughs> he's fucking everything. Everyone and everything. <laughs> he convinced uh, Helen to marry his ass, and then he entertained the idea of leaving his uh, Free Baptist uh, congregation to go and preach on his own independently without any support. She replied to that idea, I think it would be lovely. She also apparently likes his teachings. Yeah, oh, for sure, yeah. She's like, I'm, I'm on board. She's on board with this psychopath. Oh, no. Something uh, that's also kind of funny about this is on the first marriage proposal that he... The first? Yeah, he was writing uh, her to propose. His first marriage proposal... And said uh, a little quote here that said that their union would mean the marriage of the lamb and his bride. And she's basically telling him, telling, uh, saying that he's Christ. She tore up that letter because she said it was blasphemy. So then eventually he was able to, on the second one, get her to say yes. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, so she was down with everything except for him calling himself the lamb. Yes, because, yeah, that would be high heresy. Um uh, there, there's a moment where things kind of go crazy for him, but can he be the goat? <laughs> the goat is a symbol of evil and uh, greatest of all time. The greatest. Of... <laughs> okay, <laughs> got me there. <laughs> You're about to go into this theological and like nah, nah, fuck that. <laughs> Talking about too much Bible here. <laughs> On New Year's Day of 1893, he told his church that God had called him and said go and he left his pulpit and gave away his savings which is very interesting interesting um i just got to be there for the next <laughs> oh you're leaving so soon <laughs> take it he began preaching in rural maine and he started getting what is like a rustic like mid-coast rural mid-coast rural i don't think of mid-coast as being rural now not today, but in, like, fucking, what is this, 93? Absolutely. <laughs> it's not much going on there. A lot of hills. Um, Lots of hills. A lot of hills. You know, he was, he kind of started off struggling. He didn't have any money to his name. He was very much of the mindset that God will provide everything that he need. Um, but he did end up getting a lot of following from various folks in the coastal hill regions close to where he was preaching. He started getting a pretty huge following overall um and then in the fall of 94 he fully separated himself from the free baptist movement and seeing himself as a greater than uh, a lot of those teachings would like like lead him credence to believe but like he separated himself from the baptist movement and he started seeing as his actions above needing to give himself responsibility he was giving himself full freedom from responsibility Okay. And he said that his actions are now responding fully to the movements of the Holy Spirit. 
So he's like, if you have a problem with what I do, you have to take it up with the big guy upstairs. Yeah, yeah. He was like, oh, no. I'm a full agent, like, at this point. Like, I am divine in a way. Um, head, and, he, head and face. Head and face. <laughs> <laughs> head and face B. Head and face. He wrote a magazine, encouraged the recruitment of young workers uh, across the region, and he announced the opening of a school called Holy Ghost and Us Bible School. At Us? And Us. Holy Ghost and Us Bible School. He's really shit at naming things. Yeah, he really is. Holy Ghost and Us Bible School. I wrote Shitty Toys R Us. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you and I are on the... She needs to... <laughs> Why? <laughs> to get recruitment so also what's kind of interesting about this uh, school like putting you on the same level as the holy ghost and that's fucking weird yeah well something interesting about the school i don't think this was accredited by the way no was, i don't think so either but what's interesting no tuition was required to enter the school but there was also no actual courses and teachers just sanford and some bibles <laughs> <laughs> in 1896 at the age of 32 things start trucking along for little old sanford he begins to build a home for the school on a nearby sandy hill near durham maine what i find funny about it being a sandy hill is that there's a whole scripture about not building your house on sand so <laughs> <laughs> why don't we call it a the holy ghost school at sandy hill <laughs> Uh, I like that. <laughs> Holy Ghost School in Sandy Hill. Um, <laughs> so the original building, yes. it was. Um, it started off as just kind of one chapel tower, basically. And this has a very interesting design. Hold on, I'll kind of bring it up here. Now you get to show me something. I'm going to put this in images. And, okay. So you can take a little picture, look at it. It's like a very tall... This is what it looks... God damn it. <laughs> this okay, is this a isn't, big picture. It's in Durham, okay. So it's called Shiloh Chapel now? It's called Shiloh Chapel. Well, originally, the main structure, which still exists today, so it's this tall tower with kind of like a house attached to it, kind of almost looks like a giant lighthouse. It kind of does. Yeah, probably very intentional. But this whole middle section is all that exists. The rest of it was um, destroyed. So eventually, it would... Oh! He started with just a chapel, but then built a huge, huge courtyard. I'm not gonna lie. 40-foot tall gates. I like the design. It's a very cool design. And actually, in like 1927, when Charles Lindbergh was like going over the Atlantic, he had passed over um, this... He passed over this building in particular, and he said he thought it was the state capitol. <laughs> like, Holy shit! Because of just how fucking crazy it looked. It was like an insane building. It was meant to house, at its peak, 500 people. Just sleeping wow. in this. He also, during the time when he's building everything out, he also built a children's house and a hospital. We'll talk a little bit about that hospital pretty soon. Oh, no. That sounds like it'd be a good thing, but the way you're saying that makes me think it might not be such a good thing. It's not a very good thing. (laughs) This community is huge, though. I mean, he had, like, his own print shop at the peak. They had, like, a bunch of cattle. It was, like, 
pretty much somewhat self-sustaining except there wasn't the the lack of food there was a lack of food within the community it was very hard for them to keep up with the well, needs he didn't of the farm people. no and he also mismanaged finances a lot well yeah he gave away all of his savings he did give away all of his savings <laughs> you could have used that bucko <laughs> at the peak that i mentioned yeah so 500 people are living within this community and it is fully a community um, there's a lot of requirements to living here though. Nobody works for pay at all in this community. Everybody just performs free labor for the community. Okay. Red flag number one. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's another one. When you enter the community, you have to give all of your possessions to the community. Yep. This is a cult. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> actually like. For a while like, we thought beat, we were just talking about no, a church. Beat now for beat. Now it's come to a cult. Okay. Beat for beat. Here we go. Uh. Two strikes. Two strikes, two strikes. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, giving all of your possessions, um, being part of this community, you have an insane schedule also. You have to be, first off, you're pretty much like 24 hours dedicated to this community. They even had like a day of prayer that was 24 hours. You'd pray two hours at a time, have a break, then go right back to it. You know that that is also a cult thing because the, if you deprive people of like sleep and energy like they can't think about it mm -hmm. you keep them busy constantly yeah and i mean the children that were brought into this setting had it the worst off oh no sanford would encourage abuse of children and said like that the whip is like its own method of bringing a child up to be like more gracious and accepting of, of god to train up a child. Yep. He reared a lot of children. Oh, no. Oh, no. His community was l encouraged to live within the supernatural, to be open to the spirit and whims of God. So you had a pretty consistent packed schedule within this community, but also you had to be ready at any point to go to a mandatory prayer session that Sanford would decree was necessary in the will of God at that moment. You had to be ready for anything, even if it was like in the middle of the night when you're sleeping. Um... In 1898, Sanford actually found support for his community among higher-life Christians in Boston and London. And this is also where he started getting into some weird ideas. He adopted the uh, concept of British Israelism. The which fuck is that? It's, uh, <laughs> it's pretty fucked up. So oh, he, wait, I his, think I might know what it is. His belief was that British, English, and American people were actually among um, lost tribes of Israel. Yes. Okay. So, yeah. Because there is a cult currently called the Twelve Tribes. That, mm, that mm -hmm. That's, yep. And they own Yellow Deli. Oh, wow. I think that might be them. But, yeah, they're very much into the idea that he, he, like, went to England and thought that, oh, these guys are so, like, advanced. They must be, like, chosen by God. It was kind of that mentality. Head and face. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would love to do a count. If I was, like, looking at you for throughout most of this, I would love to do a count of how many times you're doing this. So far, it's four. Four, four, <laughs> four head and faces. Uh, yeah, because that's, yeah, because these, these people, they're also just kind of like, yeah, they're like, they're the lost, tri like, a lost tribe of Israel because mm -hmm. they're like, we were the good Jews. Yeah. And then the people that we consider Jewish were the ones that put Christ to death. Mm-hmm. We're gonna, not gonna open that can of worms, that's but not. yeah, that's the thing is, again, it's that whole, like, well, 
we're this and we're that, so we must be part of the chosen people. Yeah, it's a little... It's... it's, (sighs) But I think it's just kind of classic, like, that, oh, yeah, British Israelism. Like, that's such a... I, I, did, I would believe that that was probably a popular mindset at some point just because of how fucked up England is <laughs> around this time especially. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Divine healing was also heavily adopted around this time. Oh. Divine healing being All that right. um, you can be healed through the power of prayer. You know I mentioned that there but, was a hospital? Oh, no. <laughs> I was just about to ask, but wait, he made a hospital. Yeah. Because there are no doctors, just prayers. Yeah. <laughs> oh fuck me! There was no real medical attention. It was just prayer. It was just prayer. Like, and if you were seen as sick or ill, that was just you having a lack of faith. Being unhealthy was just a lack of faith. Even if you're being starved and mistreated, it's just a lack of your faith. Uh, the punishments are insane, but yeah, like. <laughs> But witnesses at Shiloh would say that they witnessed miracles at the hospital. Uh-huh. One po- interesting story I'm sure you did. of a person being cured of their blindness. <laughs> and also the resurrection of a woman. Now, this was so heavily shared across newspapers in this nation. But here's the thing. Yeah. If there are no doctors or nurses to confirm... <laughs> <laughs> that there were, yes, this person was dead, or yes, this person is legally blind. Yeah. <laughs> Someone could just say, I'm blind, or, oh yes, she was dead The other theory, a moment ago. The other theory about the resurrection one is that they think this person might have been in a coma. Well, also considering, are you familiar with, um, for a very long time, they had bells attached to... Yes. Coffins. Yes, because it was the doctors would mispronounce people dead so often. That's also why the Irish have wakes. Mmm. Makes sense. Is it gives them time for them to wake up if they're not actually dead. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's nice. I like that. It's like here's a little grace period before we put you in. <laughs> but yeah, so I can also I I totally see that mm-hmm. being the case that if it was a coma or just so, something else where like their body was working like on low <laughs> low power mode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> low power mode. Drained battery. Please charge me. Uh <laughs> and they charged them. Yeah. So but uh, this miracle was being spread. His influence keeps growing. He's getting more followers. Around this time, he's also stating that he's demanding total obedience from his flock. Again, I mentioned the crazy schedule and like how he was just kind of torturing people slowly with his crazy attitude towards a lot of stuff. Uh-huh. Around the 1900s, Sanford declared himself to be the prophet Elijah. <laughs> This isolated Sanford for much of the religious community, and many papers were being published from religious leaders. Um, Crying blasphemy. I'm very surprised that he didn't just jump to Jesus like a lot of other cult leaders. Yeah, I know. It's pretty funny. I mean, he did in his proposal to his wife, but... Yeah, 
Yeah, he he's so, just question. He's, he's like just trying to like ease people. Where's into Elijah it. on the totem pole? <laughs> he's a uh, uh, he's considered to be like a pretty up there prophet when okay. it comes to this. Um, like I think he's considered a messiah in a lot of ways, especially for um, Judaism. As far as right. pull influence, I don't know. I could be wrong. <laughs> All right. Cool. I honestly don't know too much about Elijah, but uh, yeah, he'd be considered very much up there. All right. Um, then in 1902, Sanford also declared himself to be King David. <laughs> and he renamed his movement The Kingdom. Yeah. Sir. Sir. Sir, pump Sir, the brakes. You're going... I know cars aren't common yet, but pump those fucking brakes. So, a lot of crazy shit's, like, happening. He's still kind of traveling across the world randomly. He built a outpost in Palestine. Um, oh, yeah, because he's one of the lost tribes. Of course. Of course. And then, like, uh, yeah, he's, like, taking a foothold and doing a lot of, like, religious movements. Um, or, he's he's moving his movement around quite a bit. And he's, internationally. He's, he's moving his movement he's all moving over the place. Movement. He's stop moving that movement, boy. <laughs> in 1903, um, he held an event within his community called the Nineveh Fast. And he forbid any consumption of food or liquids for 36 hours within his community. You said 30. You were gonna, I thought you were going to say 36 days. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but still, yeah, fuck this guy. Yeah, during that time, a 14-year-old boy, uh, Leonard Bartlett, died of diphtheria. Diphtheria? Diphtheria, yeah. <laughs> that's the, that's the, that's the, um, that's the sick that, that, the, that all the kids are dying from in Balto. Oh, really? Yeah, it's diphtheria. So I, we read a thing about it when I was in the third grade because it was talking about like the actual story of like Bolto and the dogs that brought the medicine. So yeah, dip theory basically like, from what I remember, it like creates like polyps that basically like close your airway. Holy shit. <laughs> and I remember reading it when I was, so I was like probably nine and I was just like, because when you're young and you read about stuff like that, you're like, this is going to immediately affect me. Sort of like when people read about the Bermuda Triangle and they're like, this is going to be a much bigger problem. I was like, diphtheria is going to be a huge problem for me. <laughs> yeah, poor kid. Yeah, during this time, there were people leaving the church and running away from it. Good for them. Yeah, but I mean, there, I like was still, that for you. there was still a lot of people that were holding strong. And part of it was just because, like, what the fuck else are they going to do? He has all our money. And with the schedules that they're keeping, they just physically cannot, like, muster that will or strength to get out of these areas. And some maybe actually believe in all of this. But, I mean, this 14-year-old boy died. I did, like this is something that we heard, but I don't think it's the only instance of somebody dying under the care here. Absolutely not. Like just for example, his own son John, when he was being disobedient, he ordered his son not to eat any food or drink for a while, and he locked him up even and like starved him for 3 days, but also was beating him. And the only way that he was ever going to feed his, his son or give him water was to let his son want to be beaten. His son would have to show up and demand to be beaten to have water. We should put a tr trigger warning on this for child abuse. <laughs> yeah, we really should. 
Holy shit! Listeners, Fuck. you'll hear that at the beginning. Fuck this fucking fucker. Fuck. Holy shit. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. If you're talking about cults, 99.9% of the time, child abuse is involved. Oh, yeah. So. It's bad. It's on the tin. It's real, 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 real bad. Um, he, he said that he didn't believe that his son was truly, like, appreciative of his suffering until the third day when he finally allowed him to eat. So in 1904, he was indicted by Androscoggin County, Androscoggin <laughs> County for cruelty to children and manslaughter. Yeah, yeah. He was, uh, you know, he was. The verdict was upheld, and at retrial, he was convicted of manslaughter, um, but that charge was actually dropped after the, a Supreme Judicial Court reversed the charge because there were some issues with the jury. Oh, why? Uh, were they all religious in some way, shape, or form? Mm -hmm. <laughs> or were they all atheists in some way, shape, or form? Because either you're biased against religion or you're biased for religion. Uh, there was an issue about their belief of, or, or lack of belief towards a certain like religious, specific religious thing. <laughs> Head and face. <laughs> yeah, badly. Here, let's talk about juries again. Oh, my God. Uh, there was actually a moment where I was, there's another trial that would come up, but the author did describe that the whole jury was white men. <laughs> another trial. Oh, boy. All right. We'll, talk about, it. we'll talk about it. So, yeah, he didn't really get much punishment out of his, out of his deals here. Um but I just wanted to talk a little bit more about the child abuse. There was a separate home for the children, but at the same time, children were often told to hide when they had state visitors or other groups come by because they were so uh, malnurtured that they were pretty much skeletons. There was also a lot of illness among children. Children got the worst of it, and older boys were taken deep into the woods to be beaten with horse whips. One instance even involved that a father would beat his child so vigorously until 1 a.m. when uh, other people intervened and said, you're doing this too much. <laughs> the community was also encouraged to reveal their own faults and everybody else's. They were meant to tattle on each other and themselves constantly. One instance of um, one uh, girl said that she convinced to the sin of vanity because she looked in a mirror. Um, oh my god. And of course she was told not to have any food or water for a day. I so. looked in a mirror. <laughs> so um, the ball's on this guy. While uh, his trial was underway, his first one, he actually went on another international world tour. <laughs> and he had focused on uh, intense evangelism during this time. At the height of his evangelism, like, focus, he had six boats. Three were actually focused on, like, international travel. There were other steamers involved that didn't do as much or only focused on the coastline. This is why you said boats. Boats. Oh, <laughs> uh, he's like, um, what's his face from Scientology? Who's definitely not dead and is definitely still alive on the boat. Hubbard? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely not dead. He's totally not dead. Totally not. Yeah. We're pro-Scientology here, guys. Obviously. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't, like, talk about them, because that would be... Our legal team will have some problems. 
I think they're too busy going after like Leah Remini. Yeah. <laughs> they're a little busy. A little bit. Remember her very litigious. <laughs> so uh, with his uh, his fun boats. Uh, oh, he also formed, um, he, had, he had formed some kind of like random little companies to kind of take care of all these assets also. Yeah. First off, he called his um, his movement, he had gave it like a incorporation name and it was called The Kingdom Inc. <laughs> was it actually incorporated or was yes. he just, yes. for, oh no. Uh, like he, he fucking, I, I got on documents, he wrote uh, God as the uh, like president or something. Okay, as somebody that fucking deals with stuff like that at work, fuck this. If that ever came across my desk, I would be like, no. Also, I am re- I am rejecting this. Also, all of his boats were held under the um the kind of like I don't know what it would be, but I think like another sort of holding group called uh, the Kingdom Yacht Club. <laughs> so unamused <laughs> get the fuck out of here so yeah he was traveling quite a lot he was actually around this time traveling specifically to jerusalem and uh, israel again because mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> just going to his homeland just going to his homeland he fuck. actually at this time though he was closing down the um palestine outpost he was done with it so he decided to shut it down he brought... Oh, I'm finished with this. Yeah, I'm tired of going to Jerusalem. <laughs> so he brought the people from the Palestine outpost on his ship. And, and there was also one person who was um, having issues being married into the cult and married to somebody within a, a leader within the cult. She reluctantly accepted a trip back to the States and she was treated nicely on board but uh, then was being forcibly detained on the ship before coming to the port. And he said, you have to get right with your husband. That's what Sanford was saying. So it was kind of fucked up. Um, he was sued by that person Good. for forcible Good detention. Good for her. Um, I don't... He did have to owe some money, I believe. But in 1910, uh, in light of also some other legal problems... I'm so surprised. <laughs> he took 70 men, women, and children to Africa among his two ships, Kingdom and Coronet. Those are his two main ships. I get nervous. I get nervous when cult leaders do that. Yeah. Well, it was a very poorly planned trip. It kind of seemed on a whim. He didn't really bring really much supplies or water or kind of anything he anticipated that he'd need about a million dollars to kind of complete his trips, but also he didn't really seem to have a plan. Testimony from the people on board were kind of confused because while there might have been a little bit of attempted evangelism, they did try to get on shore, but were kind of killed by people <laughs> a little bit. Um, they also would take like trumpets and were blowing their trumpets uh, on the coast of well, just coastal areas and random islands um, to sort of be the signal of Armageddon and the end times, it seemed. Oh, let's just do a little quick backtrack. He Uh predicted that the world would end in 1909. But guess what? It didn't. (laughs) So after 1909, part of this trip was to, I think, uh, spread the tale of Armageddon because they said, well, Armageddon didn't happen because we're just we our faith isn't strong enough. 
So we need to go spread the word. Our the faith world is isn't ending. strong enough. So <laughs> it, wouldn't it be the opposite that... Our faith would save the world? Yeah. No, they just want to die. That's the thing. That's a big part of his, uh, his preaching at this point was saying that he was anticipating that his flock would be the ones killed in Armageddon before being too faithful. That was his whole thing. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I'm sorry. The only thing that just came up was lips of an angel bander. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> you make it hard to be faithful. <laughs> oh, no. I have, My ADHD is like raging today. Sorry. That's okay. We're kind of all over the place today. So, yeah. So, he's on this trip with 70 people. Um, they have no supplies. At one point during a really bad storm around Cape Horn, as always, Cape Horn, you rascal, what's up with your waters? How are they so tumultuous? <laughs> Fucking stop what you're doing. Oh, you're so turbulent. <laughs> uh, the ship kingdom actually went sh- uh, shipwrecked around this point. Um Sanford was really pissed off at the people on the kingdom and said, you crashed because you lack faith. (laughs) And then he brought everybody on board the coronet. And because the the ship was so far gone at this point, they burned the the ship down as a sacrifice to God. (laughs) I don't think God needs a boat. And it doesn't even work. Seems rude. You (laughs) You gave me a shitty boat. (laughs) Miss Carmody would love this. Right? (laughs) She would. She'd be all over this. Oh my god. She'd be like, uh, is, th- is there is there room for another Mrs. Sanford? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Knowing this guy. <laughs> so they went back, and upon arriving in Portland on October 21st, 1911, with uh, some fewer people. <laughs> from... Do we know how many fewer? Quite a few. No, the numbers they left are with not. Like the numbers are not exact, and that's uh, sort of a problem about this cult. Is that we did hear about the one boy dying, which is interesting because I'm sure many other people had died, and like I not, would just be interested to know of like the approximate 500 that left. How many came back? I well, I mean, 70 were were leaving. Oh, seven. On the on the 70 yeah. left. My brain was back to 500. Okay, yeah, so yeah. 70 left. I would 70 like left. to know. Out of the 70 that left, then. I think they lost at least 20 people. Jeez, okay. Um, also, upon arriving... I hope every single one of them... Well, people had... Got to heaven. People had... Just on principle. Yeah, you I had mean... to deal with this shitty guy. Come on in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're part of the kingdom? Yep, you're allowed in. But when you're, when you're he get, when Sanford gets here, he is not on the guest list. He's not on the guest list. I'm taking him off crossing that out here right now <laughs> so yeah i mean some missionaries were probably killed probably some died in the uh shipwreck um i can't imagine that when they, everyone survived that. no but when they arrived um to portland people had noticed well people saw their condition was terrible everybody was pretty much skeletons they're malnourished diseased they're just barely hanging on. And, like, even some people were still at the bottom of the ship when they arrived, still, like, trying to do their basic tasks. Like, there were so... A lot of people really suffered here. Um, and six people on the board that they arrived had died of different diseases and scurvy. Yeah. Well, yeah, because they yeah. were just trying to pray. Well, that was the thing. is like, oh my God. 
they barely ate anything and some people like would be surviving on basically half a cracker a day but you know who didn't look bad at all frank he probably looks stunning frank you know on the coronet was pretty living pretty large he had his own private cabin of course that was luxuriously furnished and he wasn't malnourished at all he was healthy as ever because he's eating the entire time oh fuck this guy so for the six deaths uh in 1911, he was convicted of manslaughter, and he was sentenced to 10 years on State Farm in Atlanta, Georgia. Ooh, yeah. He uh, Georgia. But he only served six years because he, uh, for good behavior. <laughs> <laughs> While he was in prison, he also wrote back to the community in Durham, Maine, and was still managing things from prison um, with his demands, letters, and all that. Now... You'd think that this would sink him, but it didn't. The thing that actually sunk him and started making him lose followers was a case in 1920, um, which was a suit against William Hastings, who was part of this um, cult. Um, his, the suit was from his family, whose uh, the mother had died, and they were trying to get custody of the six children that were still under his care in this oh community. Oh my god. During the trials for the custody, so quote from uh, quote from the the trial here, on the stand the Hastings children recounted the poverty that they had experienced. Ten year old David said he couldn't even remember having had breakfast before school, although he did have lard on his bread as a Christmas present. His older sister Mary recounted how, because she was too malnourished, she was hid in the woods when child welfare inspectors came. Neighbors testified to feeding starving children. In his testimony, William admitted that they did not have enough to eat, but he refused to work for wages as it was against God's law. He was living on faith, even if his children starved. Indeed, as they had most of their lives, Hastings lost the battle and his children were taken from him. This is actually um, a quote from um, Churches That Abuse by Ronald M. Enroth, a professor of sociology at Westmont College in Santa Barbara. Oh, I'm glad that they took the kids away. Seriously. Now, can we do that for all of them? (laughs) All of the kids? Do not let children be here. Well, after that, though it didn't, like, destroy everything, he lost a lot of followers. And he started losing more people. Eventually, he did shut down the chapel. Yeah. And he kind of went away and hid in sort of a relative obscurity in upstate New York when he uh, finally died March 4th in 1948. What's interesting, though, is that his death was kept a secret by his faithful followers that still were around. Yeah, that's, that's again, pretty culty thing. They buried him in secret. They also burned some of his writings and possessions. Um, and they did publicly announce that he was dead in October. That's the Shiloh cult of Durham, Maine. <laughs> after this period, well, after 1920, um, the cult, the group's kind of separated they and they spread out into different churches mormon still Mormons kind of related the same thing, yeah, yeah where like you know people once the the leader dies it's very difficult to 
because people have their own ideas mm-hmm. and own agendas about what they can do with the church. So that does not surprise me. Can you grow coffee or not? These are important Mor- Mormon questions. Yeah. <laughs> Is it okay to marry a 12-year-old when you're, ar- <laughs> when you're already married to a bunch of other teenagers? Put it on the wife pile. <sighs> Brigham Young. Jesus. That's what... Brigham Young, bro. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> Um, Brigham, uh, Brigham Young? More like Brigham Young. Oh, no! <laughs> Nobody made that joke before. Um, wow. Holy shit. This was a big, this is like one. This is also like very classic cult. Yeah, like it, it is. It has all the hallmarks. Like it hits all of the, the notes, all Abandoning the Abandoning your possessions, this profit kind of concept. Like demanding... cults also just don't like children. No, they don't. A lot of cults like like produce a lot of children, and they just are like, "What the fuck do I do with these?" I can't. I have to beat it. There's this is the only way I, I have, have to beat to... this child. Yeah, jeez, Louise. And the is the is the church just like the the chapel Shiloh Chapel? Is that in use or is that? It is kind of a historic building now. It's seen as a historic building, but it is in use by an independent preacher. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe we can go say hi. (laughs) Ask a lot of questions they don't want us to, don't want to answer. So where were the children beaten? What was the best hiding spot for a malnourished child? (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah, I assume that there are a lot more deaths. Then, especially since they they buried him on the sly and like I, I imagine there was a lot of that and I mean we know other churches did it you we know do. we're finding all of the the graves of children outside of residential schools I bet if you looked around that area you'd probably find some remains that have been unreported <laughs> no We'll get into that. No. <laughs> nope. It's a uh, whole lot of no. Holy I know. God. That was pretty rough, wasn't it? I, but yeah, no, this definitely needs a disclaimer. Yes. <laughs> but it was, um, I found this like at the beginning of the week. I was just kind of curious, but actually this is, um, I think this is ins- inspiration for one of Stephen King's stories, Salem's Lot, I think. Salem's Lot's about vampires. Is it about vampires? Yeah. What is it about? Hold on. <laughs> I'm fairly certain Salem's Lot is about vampires. I don't know. We could watch the Salem's Lot miniseries when it comes out. I'd love to. <laughs> it's like, Stephen King miniseries can be hit or miss, though. Whatever. I don't know what I'm talking about. I can't find it. That's okay. That's yeah, fine. I thought I saw something that was related to that, and that kind of inspired me digging into this. I wasn't entirely sure because... This, I mentioned, this was off mic, but I had mentioned to be that it was really weird kind of researching this because there was a lot of sources that weren't really talking about all the bad shit that he did. They were kind of just talking about him as a religious leader and weren't really talking about the Coley shit, which was so strange to me. But, yeah. but I did find good sources. I found like writings from like, professors and there's also a lot of great books that are like written by you know intelligent theologians that talk about this guy and of course they're like yeah this guy was bad (laughs) bad news bears bad news bears overall though like religious community wise 
once he started getting into this idea that he was a prophet, that's when he That's started... when a lot of people usually start yeah. being like... Mm. But even like ministers in Maine had noticed that they were like losing people to this guy. To this guy saying like some of, the, some of their parishioners were like splitting their time between their church and this guy sometimes. I don't like it. No, no. Don't like it. But yeah, classic cult shit, right? It really, really... Again, <laughs> I listen to cult podcasts and they have well over like 150 episodes. So like, yeah. if you're into that sort of thing, I highly re- recommend looking at them because they just talk about cults all day, all, <laughs> all day, every day. But it's, it's fascinating to me because also like cults are still around. There are still cults that are around. Yes. And... The other thing is, even it, even in the best case, a lot of people, like, it's very easy to kind of criticize people that join cults. There are a lot of very smart people who join cults. That was something also that was interesting about this guy in particular, was that, like, wealthy members and what was relatively seen as smart individuals that are part of these different communities he was recruiting they were being specifically targeted by him because he was like this is where the money is but it's crazy like all that money he was again bad with finances almost everything disappeared into his evangelical trips around the world he was paying for his vacations pretty much yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's also interesting like the other thing that's in, the interesting thing about cult leaders is like how much of it have they actually bought into themselves or is it something that they are doing purposefully you don't hear about a um yeah a cult leader dying and them ever admitting that they were wrong maybe there was one yeah because like but I've, i haven't that, heard any one that's interesting to me is l ron hubbard because he right. he was literally a science fiction novelist. Yeah. And he pulled a lot of ideas for Scientology from his prior works. Yeah. And that's fascinating to me. He didn't it's let like, up on it either. No. Which is uh, amazing. <laughs> nope. Just wow. Oof. <sighs> yes. I feel really bad for all of those. Like, and the other thing about kids getting, either getting dragged, dragged into it by their parents or born into it. It's so horrific it's horrific yeah oh that was a downer you want an upper yeah all right well here (laughs) hey hey it's a mainism i've got a very fun little palate cleanser for you okay i had no idea that this was a thing and i don't think i'm looking at the pictures holy fuck where isn't this fucking is this First of all, tell us what it is. So today we're going to be talking about the wild blueberry land of Maine, which is located in somewhere. Where is this located? Is it not saying where it's located? Oh, Columbia Falls. There it is. Holy fuck. Yeah. So along along route route one. I love route one. We've got uh, the wild... It's really Blueberry pretty. Land. Yeah, it's just like a roadside attraction that's all about blueberries. They've got their main building and visitor center is like a... It kind of looks like an old uh, observatory, you know? 
But they look all blue. They're all blue. Well, they painted it blue and they called it Wild Blueberry Land. All their motifs are blue. They got, like, looks like a, a little mini golf thing. They got a chef that's holding a blueberry pie. They got a big blueberry that advertises their gifts. Now, this is pretty fucking cute. Like, two years ago, I don't know where he got that from, but we went to brunch at my grandparents' house, and my cousin brought over blueberries. I don't know where the fuck he got them, but they were the blessed, best blessed blueberries I've ever had in my life. <laughs> <laughs> best blueberries I've ever had in my life. We should go to Blueberry Land. They've I want to go. I they also... Got, they got actual blueberries, wild blueberries. They got the mini golf. I love... And look at that. You can be on a blueberry throne. Throne! <laughs> oh jackson it's just this a, is amazing oh, i like cute where is it go cute. look where columbia Col- falls maine where is columbia falls in relation to me i'm gonna do it okay fine you do it i'm also gonna do it though well, fine i'll let you do it no you do it it oh. is open up google maps open up google maps oh damn it's up there isn't it oh hell yeah it's way up there it is it is deep yeah it's <laughs> it is deep up the coast yeah it's up the coast but it's almost like uh, it's a little bit more south than bangor so that's not too far no it is not south of bangor yeah it is no it isn't bangor is like down here no Bangor's right there oh Bangor's here yeah and it's here that's south uh, it's still really far it's like southeast when you say south, I'm talking about like, I'm talking about distance. This is like, it is so up there. Hold on. We're gonna we're arguing about the distance of this. So it's on. further than Bangor. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's a three hour drive. That is not that far. That's far, bud. That's the it's it's twelve minutes longer than to Bangor. Bangor is a three hour drive. It is a three-hour, 15-minute drive to Acadia. I do this drive all the time. That's why I don't think it's that long. It's long. Allegra and I take that drive at least twice a year. It's too long. We'll go anyway. <laughs> Look, they got little scones. They got pies. They got cookies. This Cute. is the place to be. How do they... How do they... Get... Must only operate during the summer. Yeah, yeah. I think so. But with that freaking uh, but I love wild blueberries. Blueberries. Have you ever like picked blueberries just no. off the bush? No. Have you ever read Blueberries for Sal? No, I've never read Blueberries for Sal. Okay, that's one of the books that uh, one of the things that we do for Polly is we like to buy books um, that we liked as kids, and so we buy we like for her first birthday we got her Blueberries for Sal and Miss Rumphius, mm-hmm. which is. Um, about the Lupin Lady. The Lupin Lady? The Lupin Lady. What's the Lupin Lady? So, like, the book is about Miss Rumphius and how she went around and she, like, planted all the lupins. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's so like a little yeah. Johnny Appleseed. Yeah, but, like, here in Maine. Yeah, I really like that. That's cool. Yeah, that's one of Allegra's favorites. That's really cute. Yeah. I, I'm all excited for blueberries now. But, yeah, I mean, this place looks kind of nuts. I don't know how you could like commit so hard to this motif, but it looks beautiful. I like it. It yeah. looks really nice. I like it. Let's do it. Yeah. So if you guys ever want to drive to Mordor, 
which is also known as Columbia Falls, Maine. No, here's the... It, <laughs> again, I feel like you say, oh, it's up there, and I'm like, it's still like another four hours away from a rustic. It's close to Canada. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Do you see this map? <laughs> Look, the border's right there. Yeah, because it all... <sighs> Because, yeah, Canada is, part of Canada is on, like, the side of Maine. It's not all the way north. This is far. <laughs> it's not that far. All right, whatever. <laughs> anyway, go check out Blueberry Land. It's just a hop, skip, and a jump away. It is. <laughs> okay. Jackson, you drove across the country. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I wouldn't want to do it again. <laughs> Uh, well, <laughs> what a great end. <laughs> well, Jackson and I bit struggle. This was fun. I know. I, I like this episode. I yeah, because like look, so this is Columbia Falls oh my God. compared to <laughs> Aristic is up here. Yes, I'm not. T- yeah, that's far. And that's look, far as far. And Bangor, see, they're right on line with each other. Oh my God, B. <laughs> <laughs> How, anyway. <laughs> Just drop so, it. Just drop it. <laughs> so Jackson and I can't agree on maps. That's so, fine. So um, take it from us. Learn how to read maps. Don't skip geography. Don't skip geography because guess what? Then you can go and you can evangelize all over the world accurately. <laughs> just wild. Oh my God. <laughs> so fucking wild. Like I, blueberries. I don't, I don't think there's any other cults in Maine. There, there might are. Be. There are? Yeah. Ooh. There's, More. <laughs> there's at least one other one that I have tucked away. Okay. That's perfect. recent. That's Ooh, part of the recent. reason why I haven't been Don't wanna... thinking about it yet. <laughs> are they still active? <laughs> yes. I'm trying to see that. Yeah. I think they are. Oh, so no. that's why I'm just kind of like. <laughs> Might sit on that for a while. <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, I hope you like this episode. Um, check out Blueberry Land. Don't yeah. join a cult. Don't join a cult. Everybody, don't join a cult. Start a cult. Just kidding. For legal reasons, that's a joke. Start the cult of love, or something. I don't know. There could be nice cults, right? There might be one or two. Isn't that a, just a commune? Yeah, that would just be a commune. Okay. <laughs> Start a commune, guys. All right. Thanks Bye. for listening. Bye. <laughs> Hey homies, my sources for today's episode are Fair, Clear, and Terrible, The Story of Shiloh, Maine by Shirley Nelson, The Cabinet Press, ApostolicArchives.com, The New York Times, Frank W. Sanford, and The Holy Ghost and Us Society by William Reginald Gordon, and of course, Wikipedia. You can reach out to us on our Twitter at HGHPod or on our Instagram at HomegrownHorrorPod. We hope to see you.